Well, we are so excited to start a brand new year together. Uh, my family and I had the privilege of taking just a short vacation and uh, we're out last week. So appreciate uh, all of you who continued to carry on the ministry here at Southside while we were gone. And we're excited to come back and face a brand new year together. Uh, 2016, it's hard to believe that it's here. Uh, and if you're a guest with us, today's message is going to be a little different than a normal message that we would do. And I used to apologize for this message every year to our guests, but I've been told by our guests that actually uh, they were really glad to be here on the Sunday that I did our State of the Church address because it gave them an insight into our church that they may not have been able to get on a normal Sunday. So uh, just know that if you are not normally with us and this is your first time, we hope you'll come back and join us next week. We'll be getting back into our study through the gospel of John picking up in John chapter 8. So if you want to read ahead, you can go ahead and do that. But for those of us who are here today, I want to take just a time to reflect a little bit on all that God has been doing in the life of our church. You know, the new year is a good time to do that. Maybe some of you do that personally or with your families. You may set aside a time to reflect over the previous year, set some goals for the new year, maybe as it relates to your finances or your health or your family and how you, how you spend your time. And I think it's important as a church family that we do that as well. So this morning, I'd like to just briefly take a look back at 2015 because as those of you who know who walked with us through last year, it was an incredible year for us. God has done some incredible things. As I reflected, I thought, what, a, what an amazing year of change. There was a lot of change that took place. Uh, first of all, most of it was kind of behind the scenes. You may not have noticed some of it if you are not regularly involved at Southside, but our deacon body went through a major change last year. We instituted a brand new constitution that for the first time in our 75-year history, we said, hey, let's write down what our core beliefs are, what our essential beliefs are. We hired three new staff members. We planted a brand new church right here in San Marco called City Church that is uh, currently reaching over 100 people, have seen 30 people baptized and come to salvation in Jesus Christ. We've instituted a new form of church governance that took effect on January 1st. Uh, we also began new Wednesday night programming this fall that has more than doubled our Wednesday night participation uh, with a midweek worship service called Tables and a program for our children that many of you are familiar with called Awana. We began a brand new Sunday morning uh, worship schedule uh, called with a unified schedule, all of our small groups meeting together at 9.30 and then one unified service that meets at 11. We did all of that and I kept my job. So all in all, <laughs> all in all, I, I thought it was a, a pretty good year. I was very grateful as I looked back. Never would I have planned to do all of that in one year. Uh, many of those things were in process for a number of years, but God brought them together. And it made me wonder as I reflected and prayed and just gave thanks to him for all that he had done. What does all that mean? What is God about to do? What is he going to do now? Because so many of those things, it seemed to me as I reflected, were about setting the stage about preparing us for what is to come. I don't know how about you, but one of the things I love about Christmas are, are watching some of the old movies. And my favorite Christmas movie, maybe it's yours too, is It's a Wonderful Life. Any of you like a, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah. I didn't get to watch it this year. I was disappointed. And, and it's got to be you know, the Jimmy Stewart version. It can't be any of the other you know, knockoffs. It's got to be the original. And if you're not familiar with that story, you know that Jimmy Stewart's character, uh, he was kind of having a rough time of it, a very difficult period in his life. He was sort of the center of his family, the center of his community, but life had been beating him up pretty good. And, uh, and he 
he had an accident and he kind of went into a, a dreamlike state. And in this dream, he, he got to see what the world would have been like if he had never been born. What would have been missing in the community? What would have been different in his family? And so the whole movie tracks him as he begins to see the difference that he made, not, not as he sees it in the lives of people, but as he really notices it in his absence. It got me to thinking about us as a church. What would it be like if Southside Baptist Church didn't exist? It, it made me ask the question, what would be missing in our community and who would miss us? So I sent out a little survey, and I was actually surprised how many of you don't have enough to do over the Christmas holidays because a lot of you actually responded. And this is the way you responded to my question. What would be missing if we weren't here in, at Southside Baptist Church, who would miss us? Many of you said, well, San Marco, the residents of San Marco, the merchants would miss us. The students and staff at Landon Middle School would miss us. The residents in the Larson community would miss us. Senior adults would miss us. Families that want a place for their entire family to be able to worship together would miss us. Refugees that lived on the South Side would miss us. And so then we, we asked the question, well, what would be missing? One of my favorite answers was hope. I thought, wow, if Southside wasn't here, there'd be no hope. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty, pretty bold statement. But, but they said, somebody else said, a safe place, a place where the gospel is lived and shared. People who pray for this city. Uh, they said, a church that sacrificially serves the outpouring of love provided to this community. There were many things that, as you reflected, those of you who responded said, they would be missing in our community if Southside Baptist Church weren't here. But I want to read to you one response because it was a, a pretty good and lengthy response, but I thought it was, it so captured uh, what I think would be missing and who would miss us uh, if Southside were not part of this community. Here's what this person said, where do I start? There are so many that would miss us or probably miss out on hearing about God and his love for them. If we did not exist, I think about the people in France who received a copy of the Bible and new faith because of our support. And other people around the world influenced by short-term and long-term missionaries sent out from Southside to share the good news. I think about children and families in other U.S. cities hearing about the God we serve. But more than that, being truly cared for by our students, just spending time with them and teaching them about Jesus. I think about refugees in Jacksonville who are now believers and members of Southside because they were shown love and acceptance. I think about people who have lived in Jacksonville a long time in less than suitable conditions who have been touched by the generosity and tenacity of Southside members who have not given up on them. I think about the students at Landon Middle School who needed encouragement and direction and found it in a mentor. I think about families and individuals who have attended, attend, or will attend Southside and have heard about and accepted God's rich grace. Lastly, I think about my family we have not been here long, but we have been greatly impacted by Southside. It has been a struggle at times to know exactly why God put us here, but our faith has been expanded. When I am no longer around, my children and other generations will have a firm foundation to be able to carry on the work we are called to do because of the ministry of Southside Baptist Church. And who knows who they will be able to touch and impact. Would anyone miss Southside Baptist Church if we were not here? I think the answer is yes. What a great response. I, I, I want you to know as we come to this, as we come to this time, I, I think there are, there are two things I want you to know that, that we are committed to that must never change. First of all, our mission as a church, which is not so much 
unlike other missions of other churches, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Whether it's someone who's never heard about the love of Jesus, or it's someone who's been walking with Jesus for 30 or 40 or 50 years or more, we are committed to seeing people become fully devoted followers of Jesus and being used by God where God has planted them. And we think, as a church, there are three specific methods we employ to do that. You know them if you're here at Southside as the three G's, gather, grow, and go. We believe that we do these three things, people will become fully devoted followers of Christ as we gather them together to worship God the Father, as we move from rows in the sanctuary to circles in small groups where people can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ by studying God's word together and living in community with one another, and by sending people out to go in the power of the Holy Spirit, to be gifted by him, empowered by him, equipped and called by him to be the hands and feet in Jesus, of Jesus in the world. We're called to gather, grow, and go as a church. But this morning, what I want to share with you are three phrases that I hope will define us as a church and three words that I pray will describe us as a church and two questions that I hope will direct us as a church. So if you want to take some notes, you can. I know some of you still have the holiday hangover from all the food you've eaten, and and you're really, you're doing good just to be here. So you might need to write this down or listen to the podcast later. That's fine. But I want to cover these three, these three phrases that I hope will define us. And here here they are. The first one is this, that we as a church, we are a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. A multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. What does that mean, multi-generation? Well, look around you. All you have to do is look in front of you and behind you and to your sides to see that we are a multi-generational church. At any given Sunday, there are approximately four and sometimes even five generations that gather here together. That is not a weakness. That is a strength that we have. And here's what you need to know about that. If you go and visit other churches, you will find that it is something that sets us apart because it is not normal in our culture today. Our culture is increasingly divided by every way a culture can be divided, by language, by ethnicity, and by age. There are churches who are doing great work in this city, but when you look at them, they are made up of primarily one generation, either an older generation or a younger generation. We as a church are a multi-generational congregation. But the second part of that has got to define us, that we must be a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision, because the, the church is always one generation away from, ex, from extinction. And so we as a church have to say, we put our resources and efforts on reaching those who have not heard about the love of Jesus. Those people may be on the other side of the planet, But they may just be a generation who is growing up in a society that is increasingly secular and is increasingly unaware of God's love for them. And so we're a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. And listen, we cannot allow the enemy to use culture to divide us because that is exactly what he is doing in the church in North America today. He is using culture to divide Christians from one another, to get them fighting with each other, distracted from the mission to which God has called us, and we cannot fall into that trap. Listen, as we grow as a church, I I came to realize in my own family over the holidays, as we, Sherry and I, welcomed in family members with young children. Our our youngest is now 12, so we've sort of moved out of those preschool years. And what you you quickly understand when you bring a preschooler into your house is that you're not ready for that. (laughs) 
And so my youngest nephew is about six months old, and, and my niece is, is seven years old. And so we had all five of them in our house a couple times over the Christmas holidays. And Sherry and I quickly realized that we had sort of moved out of the preschool years, thank you, Lord. Uh, and, and we know better how to pray for my brother and sister and, and their families. But, but here's, here's what we do as a family. We make accommodations because we love those children. And so there are things in our house that get put up higher when our niece and nephews come over. There are changes that we make. Why? Because we love them. They're not changes that we would make if they weren't with us, but they're changes that we make because they're with us and because we wanted to welcome them into our home and we didn't want our stuff broken. Some of you have made accommodations for loved ones by building ramps because you may have a loved one who can no longer climb steps into their house. This is what families do for one another. We make accommodations for each other so that we can live together and grow together in the mission and the purpose that God has given us. Now, listen, first of all, let me say this. I love you, okay? I love you. Some of you don't like the fact that there are drums and a bass guitar on this side of the stage. Some of you don't like the fact that there's an organ and a choir behind me. I love you. Get over it. Get over it. Because we are a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. What does that mean? That means we make accommodations for every generation because we will do anything short of sin to make sure every generation knows about the love of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. The second phrase that I hope will define us is that we are a church that believes our success is not determined by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. A church that, is, that determines its success, not by how many people we gather on a Sunday morning. That's an important number. We care about every single person that shows up on a Sunday morning. The, the, the number on a Sunday morning, about 400 people, about 700 people on our membership rolls. Those are important numbers. But you know another number that's really important to me? 11. 11. That's how many members of Southside Baptist Church live on the international mission field telling people about Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Eleven. Eleven people who have left the comfort of home to go into a foreign place to reach some of the most unreached people in the world. Our success is not determined by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. How many of you can we engage in short-term mission trips this year? to go out from this place to serve as a missionary. And you, don't, you may not have to travel far. You may not have to travel to the other side of the planet. You may just have to travel to the other side of the street. But when you walk out of this building, our success is determined by how many of you are being sent to live on mission. Not just to gather here and sit and listen to another message or to music, but to, get, to go out from this place to make a difference in the world. So we want to be a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. We want to be a church that believes our success is determined not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. And the third phrase that I hope will define us is that we are a church that believes the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. This, this means that as a church, we cannot be content to do missions on the other side of the planet and ignore the people that live in the shadow of our steeple. This is why, as a congregation, we engaged in a ministry this last August called Go Jacks, 
where we partnered with two of our daughter churches, uh, Southside Baptist Church and uh, Southside Korean Baptist Church and City Church, and we partnered with local ministries in our community, families in need in our community. We sent out over 80 people on one Saturday to go out and just bless the city. We're going to do it again in April, and I hope you'll be a part of it. That we want to make a difference right here in the city of Jacksonville. We want to see Jacksonville understand and know the love that Jesus has for them. This is why we're so committed to planting churches. When we began to understand there was a refugee uh, community here in our city that didn't have a church uh, that preached the gospel in their own language, we as a church said we can do something about that. And so in 2012, we started Southside Corinne Baptist Church, and they meet on Sunday afternoons right here in our facility. They're reaching over 400 of the 1,000 Corinne speakers in our city, and they're the only church in our city that offers the gospel in that language. That's an important ministry for us. We have to be committed. But we also recognize that as a city and as a community, there were other people not being reached, people that we as a church may not be able to reach. And so we partnered to start City Church. And City Church is meeting right as we worship here. They're worshiping right down the road from us, right across from Panera Bread, uh, inside the Knights of Columbus Lodge, reaching an entirely different community. And some have said, why would you plant a church in your own neighborhood? Because our goal is not to make the name of Southside Baptist Church famous. It's to make the name of Jesus famous. And if that means we have to start another church, we'll start another church. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. We want to plant three more churches by the year 2020. Where will they be? Will they be right here in our community? Will they involve other languages that are currently not, uh, not ministered to in our city? I don't know. But I want to be open to what God has called us to do on the other side of the planet and right across the street from our building. This is why we're so involved in the Larson community, the Larson Outreach Center, the ministry that goes on there. It's a neighborhood right up the road from us, right down Phillips Highway, right behind the Walmart back there. God blessed us with a facility that we have been able to see converted into the Larson Outreach Ministry, but we want to see that become a viable, active, vibrant church in that neighborhood. And I I believe we can see that happen this year. We want to see people who are engaged in our 4x4 food ministry, not just in the Larson community, but right here in San Marco, providing a family of four with four days' worth of food for $4 because we don't want to fill their pantry and rob their dignity. But here's what you need to know. The only reason the 4 by 4 ministry has been working has been because there is a paid staff member who makes sure it works. But this is what you need to know, church. If we want to see those ministries continue and thrive, it needs to be because God calls you to do those ministries, not because we pay somebody to do them. And so we want to challenge you. Some, somebody in this room today, I believe, God has called you to that kind of a compassion ministry, that you can lead that ministry. You can see that ministry grow and expand to feed hungry families right here in our city because a light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. So those are the three phrases that I hope will define us as a congregation. But now let me share with you three words that I hope describe us. Three words. The first one is this, excellence. Excellence, the word excellence. And each of these words, I think, help us to know how to love God and love each other. So I want to tell you how each word helps us love God and love other people. The word excellence. Excellence because it honors God and it engages people. Our excellence honors God. We serve a God who is worthy of our praise and the best that we can offer him. 
I love the story in the book of 2 Samuel 24. David is, um, is pleading on behalf of the nation. God is pouring out uh, some justice on them. They're, they're, they, David sinned and, and, and judgment is coming. And David is interceding for his people. And he's uh, going to build a temple. And he wants to make a sacrifice on this land. And, and he goes to the owner of the land uh, whose name is Aranu. And he says, Aranu, I need this land because I want to make a sacrifice here. And I want to build God a temple here. And Aranu says, hey, I'll give you this land. And listen to what King David said. But King David said to Aranu, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. It is so important for us, church, that excellence describes our ministries, everything we do, because it brings honor to God. But it also attracts people. Because when we do things with excellence, when we put our best effort forward, people see that and they want to be a part of that. And so it honors God and it reaches, it engages people. I I see this all the time in our preschool ministry. Um, Many of you are familiar and have been touched by the ministry of Shirley Clifton here at Southside. We're so grateful for her and her years of service. And Shirley has instilled in the preschool ministry an atmosphere of excellence. If you have a child that is put in preschool, that child is not just cared for. That child is taught. That child's taught about God's love. They're taught about the Bible. It's a ministry of excellence. And and so we want to say everything that we do at Southside needs to be described by the word excellent. The second word is this, authenticity. Authenticity. Because it reveals God and it invites people. Authenticity. What do I mean by that? Well, authenticity, another word you could use is integrity or being real or being transparent. That we want to be people who are who we are everywhere we go. That we're the same on Sunday that we are on Thursday. That we're the same in the sanctuary that we are in the supermarket. We want to be authentic, real people because it reveals God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, or you could say, blessed are those with integrity, or you could say, blessed are those who are authentic, blessed are those who are transparent, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He said, when we put on a mask, when, when we put on our Sunday best to go to church to try to be somebody that we're not the rest of the week, we don't see God. But our authenticity, it reveals God and it invites people. Do you know that it is not in your strength and all the things that you do well that, that people are attracted to you, that people see God's work in you? It's actually in your weakness. The apostle Paul said that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Paul said, you know what, he uses the foolish things of this world. He uses the weak things of this world. When you are transparent and authentic with people and they see the real life struggles that you have, do you know what they say? Me too. I thought I was the only one. Those of you who've been involved in in recovery ministries, you see this all the time. It's when people are finally willing to say that, hey, I had that same problem and this is the way God worked in my life. This is the victory that God gave me in my life over alcohol and drugs or whatever the the addiction may have been. But what has to happen? Authenticity. People have to be real. And so as a church, we want to be excellent, but we also want to be authentic. That's one of the reasons why, as a church, we say we are a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. Because that's who we are. That's who we really are. 
If we're going to be authentic as a church, we have to be willing to say what is true about us. And when we do it, it reveals God and it invites people. So we want to be excellent. We want to be authentic. And the third word that I hope will describe us is accessibility. To be accessible. Because it reflects God and it includes people. Nothing nothing reflects the ministry of Jesus Christ more than when you and I make ourselves available to people around us. Because God took on flesh and came to dwell among us. That he lived with us. He walked with his disciples. He lived with them for three years. Not just teaching them by the things he said, but by, but by holding hands with them and, and running shoulder to shoulder by them so that they could experience it. If we want to be a people who are like Jesus, we need to be accessible it, because it reflects who Jesus is and it includes people in the ministry. Listen to what the Apostle John said. One of those guys who walked with Jesus for the entire time, one of the first disciples Jesus called, Listen to what he said. He's an old man, and he's writing to a group of people in a church who have never seen Jesus firsthand. And here's what he said to them. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the, the, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. You see, what is John saying? He's saying, look, I saw him. I touched him. I laid my head on his shoulder during the Last Supper. I shared meals with him. He washed my feet. And so I can tell you he's real. I can tell you the difference he's made in my life. And John's speaking to a group of people who didn't have that privilege. So you know what he did? He was real to them. He was accessible to them. He he walked among them and showed them. Just as Jesus had showed him, so he showed the people the generation that came after him. And that's been going on for 2,000 years. The way people are touched with the gospel is that you, as a follower of Jesus, one who's been touched with the love and grace and mercy of Jesus, make yourself accessible to those who have yet to experience the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. So that you can say, let me show you the difference he's made in my life by giving you access to me. Not my fake me, not my Sunday me, my authentic me, my real me. This is what should describe us as a church, to be accessible, to be a church where real people get connected. Now, all three of these things, excellence, authenticity, and accessibility, have to be held in balance because they each have an opposite that we're pretty much aware of, but they also have a perversion that can lead us off course. So I just want to show you this chart. Uh, For those of you who like charts and graphs, I know, know you're right in a new year where you love making lists, so maybe this will help. So here's the imperative. The first one, excellence. The opposite of excellence is obviously sloppy. So, for example, small group leaders, um, excellence is being prepared, showing up for your small group, ready, uh, making sure that you've been ministering to your small group through the weeks. That's excellence. What is sloppy? Sloppy is showing up, not really having a lesson prepared, showing up to your group meeting after the rest of your group's already there. That's sloppy. But what is the perversion of excellence? The perversion of excellence is perfectionist. Someone who is a perfectionist. 
And this is sometimes where we get snagged. Because we say, well, we want to strive for excellence, but what we really are going for is perfectionism. And do you know what? Perfectionism is about you, not about God. Excellence brings glory to God. Perfectionism is about bringing glory to yourself. And so we don't want to, we don't want to veer into the perversion. Authenticity, the, the opposite of authenticity, is to be phony. The perversion of it is to be self-indulgent. In other words, it's all about me all the time. Let me, just, let me just share everything with you without ever listening to you. Let me just indulge myself, my need for pride, my need, for e- my need to have my ego stroked, by talking about me all the time. That's the perversion. And finally, accessibility. The opposite would be to be inaccessible, but the perversion is to be patronizing. To be somebody who doesn't know when no, no means no. To back off when you need to back off and just make yourself accessible without making yourself pushy. So these are the things that we as a church want to do. And here's the secret. Here's what is so important about this. If these words are going to describe us as a church, the only way that will be true is if they describe you as individual people. The only way these three words will describe us as a church is if these three words describe me personally. Because as a church, we are not just gathering together in order to collect money to pay professionals to be excellent, to pay professionals to be authentic, to pay professionals to be accessible. But as a body of believers, we say we want to exhibit all of those things. Listen to what David Platt says. Uh, David Platt is the uh, president of the International Mission Board. And he's talking about the condition of church in America today. And I think he's right on when he says this. He says this, One of the unintended consequences of contemporary church strategies that revolve around performance, place, programs, and professionals is that somewhere along the way, people get left out of the picture. But according to Jesus, people are God's method for winning the world to himself. People who have been radically transformed by Jesus People who are not sidelined to sit in a chair on Sundays while they watch professionals take care of ministry for them. People who are equipped on Sundays to participate in ministry every day of the week. People who are fit and free to do precisely what Jesus did and what Jesus told us to do, make disciples. You are called to live lives of excellence. You are called as a believer to be authentic. You are called as a follower of Jesus Christ to make yourself accessible. Listen, if you are here and you're a believer and people know you're a believer where you work and where you go to school, you have to do the very best you can do for the glory of God. When you go into that office, you're not just filing papers or filling out forms or calling customers so that your boss can make a bigger profit or so that you can make a bigger paycheck. You're doing it for the glory of God. Students, you're going to go back to school tomorrow. It's going to be a hard reality. You are not going into that classroom to take tests so that your parents will get off your back or so that you can satisfy a teacher or even so that you can get into the college you want to get into. You are doing it for the glory of God. This is what Paul said in Colossians. He said in Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Are you living a life of excellence? Are you doing everything you do for the glory of God? The second thing, if we're going to be authentic, this means integrity, being real. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Live such godly lives among the unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That we are such authentic, real people 
in our communities and in our schools and in our offices, that people see the love of Jesus in us. They may say, you know what, I don't believe anything that they believe, but I sure can't deny the fact that they genuinely love people. They're genuinely good people. I can trust them even if I don't believe what they believe. We have to be authentic and we have to be accessible. Always be prepared, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Are you accessible? God has put people in your life who don't know about the love of Jesus. Maybe they had a bad church experience and they walked away from the church. And when they walked away from the church, they walked away from God and his love. They walked away from Jesus Christ. Are you making yourself available to those who are far from God so that they can see the love of Jesus inside of you? And there are two questions as a church, I believe, that will direct us. The first question is this. Who is hurting that we can help? Who is hurting that we can help? It's why we got involved in Larson when we recognized there was a community here in our city that didn't have potable drinking water, that, that literally you could see the skyline of downtown Jacksonville from that community, we said, that is not good enough. We can do better. And so we engaged in that ministry and in that community. And today, water lines have been run through that community because so many of you went into that community, knocked on doors, helped residents fill out forms. We have to ask our question, who is hurting that we can help? And the second question is this, who can we reach that no one else is reaching. This is why we got involved in the Corinne ministry, because there was a group of people in our city who needed a place to worship, who needed the gospel shared in their own language. And so we said, who can we reach that no one else is reaching? There are a lot of churches in our city, and they do a lot of good things. And you know what? I don't want to be like them. They're, doing their, they're working on their part of the wall. We, Southside, have to work on our part of the wall. Who can we help that nobody else is helping? Who can we reach that nobody else is reaching? That's what God's calling us to in 2016. And you might say, but wait a minute, the need is too great. That has always been the excuse the enemy plants inside of the minds of believers to do nothing at all. Because you look and you say the need is too great, and so you choose to do nothing instead of doing something. It reminds me uh, of a famous story. It may be allegorical, but it, it... gets the point across. Uh, There was a man who was vacationing at the beach, and one morning he got up and he looked out on the beach and he realized that the beach was covered, uh, covered with starfish. There were hundreds and thousands of starfish. And when he walked down on the beach, he he saw this one old guy over there, and he was picking up a starfish, and he was flinging the starfish out into the ocean, and he'd pick up another one, and he'd fling it out in the ocean. And, And the old guy turned back and said, hey, why don't you give me a hand? And the guy looked at the beach and said, why would you do this? It's, it's, it's hopeless. There's, you can't do anything about this. There's no hope that you, can, that you can save all these starfish. The old man bent down and picked up one more starfish and flung it into the ocean. He said, that starfish had some hope. Listen, we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Just because the need is so great, we will never meet the need. We serve a great and a mighty God who can do all things. And so we pick up one starfish and we fling it back in the ocean. We mentor one middle schooler. We help one refugee family. We reach out and we engage one person in ESL or a citizenship class. We do for one what we wish we could do for all. Who's hurting that we can reach? Who can we reach that no one else is reaching? Southside, this is the ministry to which God has called us. 
God has called us in 2016 to continue the mission that he gave us 77 years ago to be a light in this community, to be a light that shines the farthest because it shines the brightest at home, to be a church that doesn't determine its success by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity, to be a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision, to be a church that strives for excellence without, without drifting into perfectionism, to be a church that strives to be authentic and real in our personal and private lives and in our corporate expressions, and to be a church that's accessible to anyone and everyone that God brings in the shadow of our steeple or in, crosses your path as he leads you around the world. This is to what God has called us to. And listen, it won't happen because people who are on staff live it. It will happen because each of us are committed to being the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere he's led us to be. I'm going to invite you to pray with me this morning. And to, this morning during our commitment time, we're going to sing an old hymn that is, uh, that's got a, a great message to it. It's a song of commitment there. Literally, as you, as you go through the song, you, you are committing yourself, not just your mind or your mouth, but your hands, your body, everything, to the service and ministry of the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to stand together as we sing. And maybe on this first Sunday of a new year, maybe you would say, you know, I want, as a church, I want to commit myself. Maybe you just want to come and kneel down here at these steps Maybe you want to cross the aisle and pray with somebody. Uh, maybe you'd want to come and pray with me. Maybe you'd say, hey, I want to know more about becoming a part of Southside, or I want to give my life to Christ. But as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we thank you. While I'm convinced that January 1st, 2016 is uh, just another date on a calendar that uh, we ascribe meaning to, but Lord, to you, uh, it's the next day in a plan that you have been forming from the creation of the world. And so, Father, I thank you that as we stand here on the beginning, at the beginning of a brand new year, your faithfulness has not changed. And God, the call that you placed on your church has not changed. Your power has not changed. Your resources are still plentiful. Lord, may we enter into this new year with a fresh and a new commitment to follow after you, to commit ourselves to you, to commit our families to you, our jobs to you, our education to you, our finances, our resources, our relationships. May we give it all to you to be used for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. For we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.